The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. Let me take a moment to welcome members of our military who are tuning in from around the world over the Internet. Thank you for being with us again. In just a moment, former United States Secretary of Agriculture, who served in our nation's Congress for 18 years, Mr. Dan Glickman, will be joining us. He's here to talk about the economics of food and growing poverty in America, as well as the bipartisan State of the Union address he offered earlier this year. And it will come as no surprise to listeners of the Costa Report that Glickman's bipartisan State of the Union received little attention from the mainstream media which, as you know, has become so polarized, so dominated by right and left wing politics that venues for for hearing from the national center of the country have all but disappeared. And that's one reason it's important for us to invite leaders like Mr. Glickman to this program so that three million listeners have an opportunity to hear a balanced perspective. But before Mr. Glickman joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Daniel Robert Glickman was born in Wichita, Kansas. His family owned and operated a successful scrap metal business as well as an automobile and appliance shredding operation. Glickman earned a bachelor's degree in history from the University of Michigan and his law degree from the George Washington University Law School. In 1969, Glickman became a partner in Sergeant Clenda and Glickman, and in 73, he became the president of the Wichita School Board. Then in 1976, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives, where he served for 18 years. In 95, Glickman was appointed by President Clinton to become the United States Secretary of Agriculture, a position he held until 2001 when he became the director of the Institute of Politics at Harvard University and a partner in the law firm of Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld. Then in an unusual turn of events, in 2004, Glickman replaced Jack Valenti as head of the Motion Picture Association of America. Today, Mr. Glickman is a senior fellow at the Bipartisan Policy Center, where he co-chairs the Commission on Political Reform, the Nutrition and Physical Activity Initiative, and the Task Force on Defense Budget and Strategy. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report a multifaceted leader and longtime public servant, Mr. Dan Glickman. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Every time I hear my bio, I think, well, there's a guy that can't keep a job. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That's far from the truth there. Uh, If it's all right with you, um, I'd like to open today's program by asking you about a disturbing report which was released by NBC concerning food prices. Uh, They reported that the drought in the West and other climate issues have caused food to jump 10% in the grocery stores. Uh, For example, the price of oats, a main ingredient in cereal, has shot up 20% since the beginning of the year. And because of drought conditions in Brazil, coffee has jumped 35% in just the past four months. But... When I speak to grower organizations and other producers of food, they claim these hikes are not coming from them. For example, the price of romaine lettuce has increased 30% in the past year, yet lettuce growers have seen almost none of that increase. So can you clear this up for us? Where is this increase happening and why is it really happening? Um, you know, the causes of food prices are many. I mean, there's no question that weather, drought, climate 
has something to do with it. But many factors outside the farmer's control, clearly, it could be transportation issues. It could be people taking advantages of shortages in, in the processing part of the business. Uh, I mean, there are many reasons. It is true that in most cases, food prices tend to follow base commodity prices, but it's not an exact science. So you can see the processed price of, let's say, uh, food at the grocery store or boxed goods of soups, cereals, and those kinds of things go up much more rapidly than the price at the, at the farm gate. It is true that with this drought, we have had, uh, at least the markets have been, you know, shorting some of these food items uh, because of fear of, of shortages. And so you've seen prices rise, particularly in fresh fruits and vegetables because of the California drought, although I think you're going to hopefully get some rain in the next few days. And I think it's actually starting. I heard the weather forecast uh, right before I'm on. And then some food, pr- some raw commodity prices have actually come down. Uh, so soybeans, wheat, corn, uh, which are the major staples in a a lot of the products. Uh, There's no magic answer to what you're saying, and I'm sure there's some manipulation going on somewhere in this as well. But But, but Americans are paying, you know, everybody listening today knows that when you go to the grocery store, it's not a small amount of increase. I mean, it's hard to get out of the check stand with it if you've got a family without paying two three four hundred dollars and and it's shocking how food prices have gone up and yet you're having the growers saying that even though their cost due to drought and climate changes have gone up that those increases at the supermarkets are not being passed to the growers now i've talked to the largest growing associations and the largest growers of produce in the country And they're saying it's not being passed on to them. So there's only one explanation that I can come up with. Maybe you've got another one, but I I can't come up with another explanation. And we know who gets hurt by these raises in food prices. It's the people who can least afford it. I think you and I would agree on that. Yeah, yeah the one thing I would have to say, however, we have to, we pay in America uh, on consumers the lowest percentage of our disposable income on food than any industrialized country in the world. That is true. So I'm not, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not uh, trying to, to push this problem under the rug in terms of the whole issue of the differential between what a farmer or producer gets and what's, what people pay at the grocery store. But by and large, food prices in this country still remain a bargain compared to what they are anywhere else. And that's because of uh, food subsidies. Is that right? No, it, actually, it's because no. of the efficiency of our market system uh, as much as anything else. Uh, I mean, we have this remarkable system of supply and demand that works quite well, not perfectly, quite well. We uh, we also have a, a farm program system that's uh, historically largely not been based on artificially propping up the price of food like they do in Europe or in Japan or other places. And and um, so, um, but we do know, subsidize I, I, some farming. You will agree with that. We we yeah. we do, and by and large, the subsidies historically have been in the form of payments to farmers, mm-hmm. uh, rather than artificially propping up the price of food, which is what they do in other parts of the world. Um, but and that's changing as we're moving away from that and moving to an insurance or a risk-based system, which will actually will help farmers out west more than the current programs do, because they'll be able to insure their crops against natural disasters and volatile weather conditions and that kind of thing. So in your view, has food just generally been too cheap in the United States and we're seeing a correction of that? I never say it's too cheap. <laughs> All uh, right. I, I'm, I'm saying that, that uh, food, the, the market forces are sometimes cruel, but uh, they have probably more to do with food prices than anything else. And in addition to that, in some parts of agriculture, there's just not a lot of competition. So uh, you see in the, let's say, in the meat and poultry industry, there is um, there are only three or four uh, uh, basically processors and people who are producing most of the pork, most of the beef, most of the poultry. Um, and, um, you know, certainly in the seed side of the business, there are very few companies. So we have a much more concentrated system of agriculture than we did 20, 30 or 40 years ago. Now, uh, I'm reading between the lines, but generally speaking, that that concentration does not bode well for a consumer. Well, you know, I mean, competition works, and the more 
the more competitors you have there out there, and 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 particularly buying product from uh, in the marketplace, the the more the consumers will be benefited from that, and the more farmers will be benefited by the fact that there'll be more uh, participants who they can sell their product to. But unfortunately, in our country, it's kind of been the way of the world. Is is that we have seen a lot more concentration occur, fewer players in airlines, banking, and agriculture. Just and, about and every industry has been affected right. by consolidation. Now we have to take a scheduled break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a large part of the population Glickman says the media is ignoring, the invisible poor. You're listening to the Costa Report. Did you know that every day we create 2.5 quintillion bytes of data and that 90% of the data in the world today has been created in the last two years alone? This data comes from everywhere and it affects everyone. This data is big data. Big data is all data and it's more than simply a matter of size. Big data represents an opportunity to uncover new insights, make your business more agile and answer questions that were previously beyond your reach. IBM's big data platform uses sophisticated technologies and patented advanced analytics designed to complement your existing information infrastructure. The IBM big data platform allows you to get started quickly today and expand to address more complex problems tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you start, it matters that you start. Find out how IBM can help you turn big data into a competitive advantage by visiting ibm.com slash big data today. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's RebeccaCosta.com. And order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. Shirtcrafter, your one-stop print shop, has been locally owned and operated in Santa Cruz for a decade, providing custom design services to help you build your brand. Shirtcrafter provides top-of-the-line custom screen printing, digital printing, embroidery, stickers, banners, business cards, and so much more. They carry top-quality brands of gear from T-shirts and polos to sweatshirts and ball caps. Whether you're outfitting your softball team or team building for your business, Shirtcrafter has it all. So build your brand with Shirtcrafter, located at 111 Ingalls Street in Santa Cruz, or go to www.shirtcrafter.com. Or you could give them a call at 831-423-0537. That's Shirtcrafter, 831-423-0537. Every day on Good Morning Monterey Bay, you get information about how to raise healthy kids and healthy pets as well. I can assure you, if if I ever become a parent, I will not kiss the thing on the lips. The thing? You mean your child? Yeah. (laughs) Head, cheek, forehead, you know, that's fine, but on the lips, it feels wrong. I understand what you mean. You know, I know somebody who kisses her dog on the lips. That's not me. Even I, I've done that before. Yeah, quiet nights alone. A nice fire and a nice warm plate of Alpo that we share. And you probably would share it too. Swirling some toilet water, yeah. The beauty of a man, his dog, and the privacy of his own home. Join Rosie, Rick, and the gang for news, traffic, and weather on Good Morning Monterey Bay, weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. on KSCO AM 1080.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Secretary of Agriculture and Congressman Dan Glickman. And before the break, we were talking about the alarming rise in food prices at the grocery store and what might be causing that. In a related topic, uh, let's talk about a social issue on which both political parties should be in lockstep. Uh, What to do about growing poverty in our country? You've been concerned with poverty and equal opportunity uh, throughout your political career. And recently, you pointed out that poverty in the United States is approaching a 50-year high. Is that right? Well, it's certainly uh, a problem when you have about one out of six, one out of six and a half people on SNAP or food stamps, and that's at, at pretty high record levels. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. Part of the reason is is that, unfortunately, as our economy improves, there are just far fewer jobs created than we had, let's say, 30 or 40 years ago. And globalization and technology has just made it a lot tougher to find productive work, particularly for uh, people who graduating from college or at least even older people who are either terminated or leave the workforce early. And so work is just much tougher to find, good work, uh, good-paying jobs than it used to be, and creating, a, a, a frankly, a big gap in our society. And a lot of people are falling through the cracks, cracks and you're, just, you're seeing more and more people needing benefits just to survive, benefits like food stamps, SNAP, and other things. I believe you said that the Census Bureau says that 50 million Americans live below poverty levels and another 50 million live near poverty. But that that's 100 million in a country of 317 million, almost a third. Yeah, we certainly have a growing number of people who are at marginal income levels. And, um, you know, again, there's no simple answer for this particular issue. As as I've said, uh, it's harder for young people to get good-paying jobs out of college. College seems to be not the avenue necessarily for success for everyone like it was maybe 40 or 50 years ago. Um, And you have – you just we just don't have the jobs being created like we used to have and i've you know myself i believe that one answer to that is to have a major national infrastructure roads sewers water system program to rebuild america but until we get to something like that we're just our country is is providing folks with the benefits in order that they don't starve so they can eat and they can uh, and and they can take care of their families when they have emergency medical care and that kind of thing but it is it is a tragedy in a country like ours we still have so many people falling through the cracks well, we faced this before, and as you point out, we instituted massive public works projects. And those were not only beneficial in, in training people, but they put people back to work uh, so that they had skills, they had dignity, they had benefits, they had purpose. Yes, and uh, I think... What's, what's holding us up? I mean, why, why can't yeah. both parties get together on this? Public, who, who's well, going to turn down it, public works projects? Who could be against yeah, that? Yeah. Well, well I, I, you know, a lot of it's inertia, frankly, and our, our government is just not as resilient as it used to be. But, but not all of this, do you need government money to do it? There's, a, there's a, a lot of locked up private sector money. We have almost $2 trillion worth of liquid assets and cash companies have overseas that I would like to bring back that perhaps could be used to rebuild America is what I call it. I mean, you know, you go to airports, you go on roads today, sewer systems, water systems are decaying. Uh, uh, America constantly is in need of being rebuilt, rebuilding as we've done over the years. And so that would put, uh, you know, that would certainly put a lot of people back to work and it would have great great spin-off and it's it's one of the things i think that i just wish that that the president and the congress both and the private sector the 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 the, the companies out there the people that don't necessarily want to see the government shoulder all the burden would get together and come up with a program to do that we can certainly create jobs because the work the need to get the work done is absolutely there and you've also commented that the opportunity to supply the rest of the world with food is also a major economic opportunity which our leaders frequently overlook uh, we don't seem to treat the opportunity to export food the same way we do exporting cars so why is that 
Well, actually, we have had the highest food exports in history this last year, record. So, in fact, uh, if you look at the numbers, uh, in fact, I've told Secretary Vilsack, who's the, who's the, who's the uh, Secretary of Agriculture now, I've told him that I wish that uh, I were the Secretary now. He's had, <laughs> re- re- he's, had, he's had record farm exports. And California, as you know, is the largest in terms of dollars producer of uh farm products in the world and they've really benefited from it so so really in the last few years farm exports and food exports have just gone through the roof so is the the light bulb going on do we see this as an economic opportunity a place where we could balance we could actually use our ability to efficiently grow food as a way to balance the trade deficits well, you know, we, we, of course, still import a lot of stuff into our country, but there are some good news on the horizon. We're importing less petroleum than we used to because America's becoming more self-sufficient. We get most of our the oil and gas that we import is from the Western Hemisphere now, not from the Middle East. That's, you know, that's good news for that, and we're importing less and less all the time. Uh, and that's also very helpful for agriculture because agriculture is are big users of energy, and we can get more of that energy here domestically. It uh, it will be less costly for uh, the producers of food. And uh, but no, I think there's great opportunities in agriculture. I would tell you that uh, years and years ago there was a movie called The Graduate, which you may remember. If some I listeners do. may. And, Dustin Hoffman. uh, (laughs) Dustin Hoffman. And and his, I think his father-in-law said plastics. Go into plastics. plastics. That's that's my (laughs) point. They said plastics. Well, if somebody were to ask me today, what's the growth industry of the future? And there are several, but certainly one of the big growth industries is food and agriculture. It's um, it's just it's it's growing. It's more productive. I mean, I want to see more people share in the bounty of it and the benefits of it. And and it's also becoming very innovative. So now you have lots of uh, locally grown agriculture. You you uh, you have different ways to make money in food production than you used to before. So while big agriculture is growing big, there's no question about that. Smaller scale agriculture is also growing big. The the organic food world, the farmers market world, the locally grown uh, 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 produce and and farm products world, they're also growing big. So this is becoming an exciting industry, and you can even tell that because you look on the uh, stock exchanges now, and you'll find that some of the best performers over the last few years are in the food industry. That was never the case before. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying that there is some optimism there. Well, there absolutely is, and we see some major inroads in technology taking place. I know IBM's been very aggressive in promoting big data applications in agriculture. So, you know, this idea that farming is somehow an outdated industry, uh, not only does it play a big role in our economic health here in the United States, including our, uh, our the veracity of our export programs, uh, but, but it's also a place where a tremendous amount of innovation is taking place. And uh, I think sometimes we the media isn't, doesn't fairly cover that. All right, we have to take another break. Uh, stay right where you are, Thanks. and we're going to be right back with Mr. Glickman. You're listening to the Costa Report. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Are you looking for ideas to create a more balanced meal plan? As one of the world's largest providers of fresh fruits and vegetables, Dole makes it easy to eat the right foods. From a wide variety of salad blends and all-natural salad kits to fresh-cut vegetables and a rainbow of your favorite fresh fruit, Dole delivers good nutrition naturally. But Dole goes beyond just offering healthy fruits and vegetables. Dole has their own nutrition institute that gives you the knowledge and tools you need to make smart choices about your nutrition and health. Visit www.dole.com for more information about the Dole Nutrition Institute. Be sure to sign up for their e-newsletter to receive delicious recipes, tips, and articles to help you make your meals the best they can be. Visit www.dole.com for more. 
Healthy Way. Healthy Way Radio going back to the phones. We have Mary on the line. Hey, Mary, Healthy Way. Going good? It's going really good. I've been doing it for a month and I've lost 16 pounds already. Already? Well, that's awesome. It's really easy to do, especially with checking in a couple of times a week. I don't feel like I have time to really get off track. So I heard you were inspired to go to the Healthy Wave by your favorite DJ. I've heard the commercials yes. for a long time. Finally heard the commercials one last time and thought, okay, you know what? It's my turn. I really just decided I needed to do it for me, you know, uh-huh. not for anyone else. I'm really busy with my business and my kids, but I just thought, you know what? I need to do something for me. And this was it. And it's been so worth it because I feel so much better every day. Hallelujah. You know, folks, this was me, it was Mary, and it could be you. Call 462-5900, go in for a free consultation, The Healthy Way. Tell them everyone sent you. My name is Debbie, and I'm from Aptos. About four years ago, I remodeled my house, and it was professionally decorated. I wanted it to look like a magazine inside, so of course, the end was beautiful plants. But how am I going to take care of them? So I called Jungle Plant, and Dale gave me a fabulous estimate. She comes in faithfully every week, waters, dusts, fertilizes, takes such great care of my indoor plants. And believe me, I have 15 of them, everything from a large ficus to beautiful orchids. She's totally professional, trustworthy. She comes in when I'm not there. I really depend on her to keep things looking great. And she's become my really good friend. She's really knowledgeable about plants, knows where to put them so that they thrive. And if something goes wrong, she replaces the plants. My plants are a big part of my home decor, and I love looking at them and feeling something alive and green. So thanks to Jungle Plant, my home is complete. So give Jungle Plant a call at 462-5806 or visit jungleplant.com. Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand-name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supply's friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First. Are you a mom? Well, we have a Mr. Mom on KSCO. Mr. Mom here. On my show about parenting, you'll hear from best-selling authors, psychologists, dog trainers, bail bondsmen, experts you need to know to stay out of trouble and raise your kids up and good. We laugh, think, and plot about how to scheme our way out of our next parental miscue. Don't miss the next Mr. Mom program on KSCO, Sundays at 2 p.m. That's Mr. Mom. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Dan Glickman, who was talking about the great surge in innovation in agriculture and the important role the production of food plays in the health of the U.S. economy. Now, switching gears here, I'd I'd like to talk about your State of the Union statement at the beginning of the year, where you described where the country stands from a bipartisan perspective. And you opened your statement by saying that, quote, the budget agreement has opened the door for the president um, uh, out, out to lead us out of this ineffective, hyper-partisan era of governing by brinkmanship. I, I wonder if you could elaborate on that, because I found your, your State of the Union statement to be uh, so inspiring and so accurate. Well, you know, there's no question that uh, I don't know if I'd say that government is just totally dysfunctional, but but certainly in the last few years, it's just almost impossible to get anything done in the, in the halls of Congress or in, or in Washington generally. So um, I thought that um, uh, certainly the fact that the Congress has now passed a budget for the next 18 months and they passed a farm bill and the president made some, I thought, uh, positive and opening remarks in his State of the Union message, which said that, you know, we can we can work together. I, I, I get the sense that clearly the public as a whole is disenfranchised, disenchanted, just down on how their national government is working. But I get the sense that the that the members of Congress, and this may be wishful thinking, is kind of under beginning to hear that message and now is 
working a little better to get some of these problems resolved. I mean, we've got so many things to worry about, work on. We've got immigration issues, which are a big thing. We still have our national deficit to worry about. And then we've got all these international crises uh, to deal with, whether it's Ukraine or Syria or, or, or North Korea or, or wherever. And so we just, as a country, have got to start working together better. And the hyper-partisanship we've seen in the last few years, I think the public's just tired of. And so I'm thinking that maybe I'm being a Pollyanna about it, but I, I'm somewhat hopeful that things are going to get better. Well, you point out in your speech that there's really no lack of ideas or actual solutions, but what's lacking is debate and deliberation. So what what do you attribute? What, what's the root cause of this polarization? Why has it gotten to this point? I think a lot of reasons. Um, and I'm not saying these are in any particular order, but um, our media today is uh, less informative and more uh, partisan and much more advocacy oriented. So you turn on television today and you watch Fox or MSNBC or anybody else and you're not necessarily getting objective news. You're getting news that riles you up, that gets you to lead yourself into an ideological position. And so I think part, that's part of the issue is it's 24-hour media and we got 500 stations and and so the media is not a unifying force like it was in years past. I think that's one of the problems. Money in politics is another problem. This is that politics is just saturated in political money, which creates campaign ads, which further divide people. And I think that's also you know, a, a big part of the problem. Uh, I think leadership or lack of leadership is another problem. I think that folks are looking for their political figures to be good leaders, sensible leaders, and uh, and uh, not just appeal to the lowest common denominator, but whose goal is to come and work on the public's problems. And, you know, we're not always going to agree on the solutions. I mean, that's why we have a democracy of thriving debate. But we've got to realize that, you know, Ronald Reagan had this great line. I'm a Democrat, but I, I liked him. I liked the way he had this ability to kind of at times try to bring people together. Oh, he was not perfect at it. He says, I'd rather get 80% of something than 20% of nothing. And it just strikes me that we have too many politicians in America who who want to achieve the 20% of nothing. They're, they're driving for an ideological agenda rather than getting things done. But so who I benefits things- from that? Who who? How can anyone benefit from putting ideology ahead of some practical solution that is in the best interest of the country? I mean, who, well, who, where know, is uh, the where's the juice? Where's the benefit from doing that? Um, you know, I mean, I think that uh, you know, to some extent, people have strong views, so I understand that. So we'll have different perspectives on how to get things done. But I think there are money, the money and the power of in our political system today is, in many cases, is driven as much about power as it is about getting things done. So you have a lot of groups that really have this strong ideological agenda, and they want they want to see the country move at totally different course. And in many cases, they just as soon, quote, shut down the government and try to reach consensus on these issues. And so the, the, the real question is, do the people get engaged, the voters? Do they come and do they say enough is enough and we don't like this any longer? You know, 80% of the people in this country are what you call in the middle. They're not at the extreme left or the extreme right. What you often have is the extreme left or the extreme right that are driving the political agenda, but the people are in the middle. So the question is, are the people willing to say, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it any longer and, and, Mm -hmm. and reward or punish politicians accordingly? Well, it doesn't look that way because the people that are listening to these polarizing media figures on TV and radio, uh, you know, they're being fed a steady diet of uh, dogma and inaccurate information, frankly. And I'm a member of the media and I'm the first to say that we've sunk to an all time low. I mean, you even point out that poverty, which is affecting a third of the uh, citizens in the United States or nearly a third of the citizens of the United States. There was a recent uh, study that showed that the media is covering it less than one percent of their stories are related to an, an issue that a third of us are dealing with. You know, though, when, uh, part, a little bit of this is uh, an, a, not nostalgia, but as when I was growing up, I'm 69 years old. So when I was growing up, there were three TV stations, networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, and that was it. 
and everybody watched one of the, those three news shows. And so everybody tended to get their information from the same sources, and the information tended to be tended to be less ideological and much much more objective. So we were all kind of more in a greater sense of community, sharing information and working on common problems. And that's just not the case today. And part of it is empowering. That is the fact that everybody has access to a smartphone and social media means that the average citizen in some sense has a lot more power than they used to have. They can participate in these movements and everything else. But part of it is part of it is restricting is is that we're no we no longer have a lot of these common goals or commonality of purpose that we did a long time ago mm-hmm. but i'm still optimistic about the country i don't want to imply that we're going to hell in a handbasket well no I, but I, you I, also point out that uh, the united states has been held up as an example for uh, other countries that they want, wanted at one time to emulate us so uh, what can we do to uh, be worthy of being emulated again um, we can elect uh, good leaders that stand for strong and positive values. As, as a country, we can um, try to reach common ground on major substantive policy issues, whether it be energy, whether it be transportation, whether it be education. These are tough problems. And, you know, I'm, I also know there are no simple answers to these problems. There was a, an English philosopher who once said, for every complicated problem, there is a simple and a wrong solution. So these things, <laughs> these things are complicated and not everything is capable of a simple solution. But I think most members of the country, most public members of public understand that. The other thing is the public themselves have to be more engaged. They just can't sit passively by and watch their uh, political leaders and other leaders uh, do things that are wrong or that, you know, I mean, we, we, we need to have an engaged citizenry, an educated citizenry that, that you know, engages their political system. I mean, in California, to some extent, you have that because you have this initiative and referendum procedure whereby people can get other things. You can get a lot of things on the ballot. Some yes. people say you have too much democracy in California, but at least you have an engaged citizen citizenry and i think that uh, that's something the rest of the country needs to emulate well it's a it's a good point to make uh if you create a system that requires engagement then you know that's what you wind up getting uh and i think california is unusual in that respect uh in that uh, we do have a very active citizenry here but you know um when it comes to national issues we don't fare so well for example the presidential election uh depending on you know i mean year after year uh we vote democratic and uh there doesn't seem to be much uh, other op- options here in california um now we're going to have to uh, take our last scheduled break but okay. we'll be sure. right back with Dan Glickman. You're listening to the Costa Report. One of my new customs is to put open bottles of red and white wine on my table so my guests can serve themselves. But not just any wine. In my home, I want to serve the best, and that's wine from Caraccioli Cellars. So this year, I asked winemaker Scott Caraccioli for a suggestion on what I should serve. Come dinner time, it's always a good idea to have a bottle of nice Chardonnay as well as Pinot Noir on your table. That way you have a selection for every guest that walks through your door. But the best way to start the evening is definitely with a bottle of bubbles, preferably Brut Rosé, to really get the celebration in, in the mode of the holidays. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's, there's something about the bubbles that gets everybody going. Yeah, it's really a, an infusion of happiness. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. So I'll start with the bubbles and then move on to the red and white on my table, and then I'll have everyone covered. Unless people want to keep going with the bubbles, which I always advise. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Scott. Are you looking for a keynote speaker for your next company meeting, symposium, training event, or exposition? For over 50 years, the American Program Bureau has been bringing the world's most respected leaders and thinkers together with audiences in every industry, from healthcare, technology, education, and finance, to manufacturing and entertainment. American Program Bureau speakers inspire and motivate. In fact, no one has more experience matching the right speaker to the right event. 
again. Whether it's Mikhail Gorbachev, Desmond Tutu, John Stewart, or Richard Branson, the American Program Bureau offers speakers on every topic. And how do I know so much about the American Program Bureau? Because I'm an APB speaker myself. To contact the American Program Bureau to book a speaker for your next event, go to apbspeakers.com. That's apbspeakers.com or phone 800-225-4575. People say puffiness and bags under the eyes are the hardest things to get rid of. Until now, introducing GenuCell Stem Cell Therapy from Chamonix, specifically targeting eye puffiness and bags. Due to new technology, GenuCell is an incredibly powerful clinical-grade serum guaranteed to show results in 12 hours or your money back. That's right. Users could see GenuCell working in only 12 hours with dramatic improvement in as little as two weeks. A true Chamonix classic, GenuCell contains eight extra ingredients to reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness in hours. Plus, GenuCell uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve longevity and brilliant long term results. Call now to try GenuCell risk-free 800-901-0636. Say goodbye to puffiness and bags today. Call in the next 20 minutes and get the legendary Esotique face cream absolutely free just for trying GenuCell today. Chamonix, the best skincare, best results, all your money back, no questions asked. 800-901-0636. Well, folks, the sun sets mighty early these days. That means we're all spending a lot more time indoors, watching TV, surfing the net, working out in the shop, in general, using up a lot of electricity. So let's ask Chris Jensen from JM Electric what all our indoor time portends for the electrical circuits behind our walls. You are right, Charlie. We do spend a lot more time indoors in winter. And the more time we spend indoors, the more load we put on the electrical circuits that run throughout our homes. It's really important that our electrical circuits are up to carrying winter's load, because if they are not, well, every year thousands are injured or killed by home electrical fires. How can we know if our electrical circuits are up to carrying the load, Chris? First, folks can go to jmelectric.com and take the home electrical safety test. After they answer 12 simple yes or no questions, they will have a good idea about how safe they should feel. Second, Folks can call JM Electric at 422-7819 and ask for a free current safe home assessment. And be sure and tell them Charlie sent you. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa and my guest today is Dan Glickman. Now, you've been a very active leader in the Bipartisan Policy Center. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the Policy Center is doing and whether they are having any real effect on this polarization and gridlock that we're seeing in Washington. Um, Yeah, I hope so. This policy center was started by the last four Senate majority leaders. So that's Senators Bob Dole, Tom Daschle, Howard Baker, and George Mitchell. So they were all leaders in the Senate, two Republican and two Democrat. And it tries to bring, bring people together of different backgrounds, business, academic, uh, ex-government, uh, nonprofit, and uh, and work on issues like immigration, energy, housing, food and agriculture, the debt and national deficit, and other things, and and then pull people together to see if they can come up with solutions. And then work with the Congress or governors or state legislators to get some of these issues done. And so I, I can't tell you that it's necessarily had a revolutionary impact yet, but I think it has brought people of different ideological perspectives together. Well, these are some very powerful people that are familiar with the process, the ins and outs of Washington, D.C. Uh, they don't have any skin in the game. They're not trying to get reelected again or get a presidential appointment. Uh, you would think that you could have a tremendous impact on bringing pressure to uh, broker some kind of progress. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, we certainly have impact. The, the 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 difficulty is is that we have the same, let's say, problems to get, let's say, Congress to react as anybody would. After all, you know, you have people that have had a lot of experience in government, but they're not elected anymore, so they don't quite have the power and the influence that you know you used to have but but notwithstanding that it's still an important place to try to to bring commonality to improve civility to 
to increase reaching out to the other side. What I have found is, is that I can work, I'm a what I call a centrist Democrat, but I can work with left or right as long as people are of goodwill and are willing to sit down and listen. And uh, one thing my mother used to tell me is you have two ears and one mouth for a very basic reason. <laughs> and 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 so it's, it's hard for people, those of us in politics, to remember that. You don't have to talk all the time. But, uh, uh, but I think there's been some productivity. And I also do a, a similar job at a place called the Aspen Institute, where I run a program where I take members of Congress Republicans and Democrats on conferences. And when you find them, when they sit down and there's no media around and their staff is not around, they become actually very good, positive, civil players to try to solve problems. And uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still doing my best to work on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had any number of leaders in Washington claim that uh, more got done in a family barbecue in a backyard in earlier times than ever got down done on the floor. And uh, well, let that, me that give you, socializing let me, uh, alone used to help to bring people together. Well, let me give you an example of that. Um, as recently as 30 years ago, most members of Congress lived in Washington. Mm-hmm. And they went home to, you know, to meet with their constituents on weekends or whenever, but they kept their families in Washington um, because that's kind of where the job is. Today, 90 percent of the members of Congress don't live in Washington. Their families are back in their districts. And while at first that sounds like, well, that's great. They're back at home where they're supposed to be. They're not where their colleagues are. Mm -hmm. And if they're with their colleagues and you you work and you work five days a week and you socialize and you go out and you meet each other's families, you learn that everybody's a human being, Republican or Democrat. And so that alone has shortened the work time in Washington so people can get get on airplanes and go back home. And that's just a whole different world than when I was first elected in 1976 and virtually everybody had their home and their family in Washington. Then they would go back to their districts, you know, a couple weekends a month or whatever to do the things that they had to do. But uh, but it's it's just changed the relationships that exist in D.C. because people aren't around each other as much as they used to be. I could not agree with you more. I, I think that uh, it definitely, as human beings, when we broker compromise, it has to be face-to-face. Uh, and that, that social uh, fiber, if you will, that holds the country's leaders together is definitely uh, broken down. Now, here's a question that came in from one of our listeners, um, knowing that you were going to be on the program together. They wanted to know, and I think you're going to get a kick out of this, if there was any chance that the Bipartisan Policy Center would come together as a party and offer and sponsor a bipartisan candidate for office. Has that ever been discussed? Actually, last uh, two years ago, there was a group that tried to run a candidate, an independent candidacy, by creating a national movement uh, to elect delegates all over the country who weren't identified with either party. Um, it's really hard to do, given all the state laws, which make it difficult to get people on the ballot unless you're part of a political party. So, I would say that while it sounds good in theory, it's been really difficult. The last uh, non-party candidate we had for president who was uh, who has had a, much of an impact was Ross Perot back in 1992 and he got about 19 percent of the vote um, and uh, but uh, it's it's just it's just really hard to do is is that the the two political parties have pretty much a lock on the electoral process and yet you have 65 percent of Americans saying they're fed up with the polarization they see in Washington, they're unhappy. And the fastest growing segment of voters is the independents. They are, although the poll, when you drill down on those numbers, most independents kind of lean one way or the other. They lean left or lean right. So they say they're independent, but many of them end up voting Republican or voting independent. Um, And uh, although I do think that most of them are in the center, and they yearn for a politics that would be what I call ideologically middle of the road rather than ideologically left or right. 
Well, I think independents might lean to the left or right because those are the only choices they have. I'm an independent, and I have to, every presidential election and every congressional and and Senate election, I've got to lean to the left or the right. Uh, I don't have much choice. (laughs) Well, you know, we've had this two-party system forever. And uh, although back in the 19th century we had three parties, uh, we have found that the two-party system is a kind of stabilizing factor, like in Europe where they have multiple parties or in Japan or other places, and they're less stable societies. But, you know, uh, on occasion when the public gets dissatisfied enough, they will, um, you know, they will they will move someplace else. I mean, it's 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 still possible that you could have a third party. Particularly, I've been intrigued by the fact that there are so few third party congressional candidates in this country. It's very hard to elect a president from a third party, but in some of these congressional districts, you could elect independents, and I haven't seen that very much. And I've been intrigued about that. Well, let's hope the bipartisan policy center inspires some people to run as independents and so we can get a little more uh, options and viable choices out there we are out of time for today uh, but before we say goodbye i do want to thank you for your bipartisan approach to our nation's challenges thank you mr glickman okay and just just folks should get engaged uh, you know should not sit passively by they still are the control of their destiny in this country and so i'm uh, i mean being 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 engaged is really important as an american citizen voting and participating well said and thank you again for being with us and i hope you'll come back soon okay thank you very much bye If your station is leaving us after this hour and you have a question or a comment to make about today's program, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or send me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and let me know what you thought about our conversation with Dan Glickman today. And if you missed the full interview with Glickman or any of our other guests, remember that you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our new YouTube channel. And while you're at the website, I hope you'll take a moment to check out our new bookstore webpage, which was launched just this past week. I'm often asked about what I'm reading or what books I recommend. So in response to your requests, we created a webpage which lists some of the groundbreaking books that I recommend. Uh, The books cover a variety of topics from economics to history to neuroscience. I think you'll find the selection interesting and compelling. You can maybe think of it as Oprah's book list on steroids. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. I, I, I don't read Oprah's book list, so I don't know if that's even fair to say. Next week, we welcome former senator and governor of Florida, Bob Graham. He'll be with us to talk about his trip to Cuba to encourage safety standards for offshore oil drilling, an issue which could have a dangerous environmental impact on the United States. Don't miss an important look at normalizing relations with Cuba next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio when we hear what you have on your mind. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.